This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It started just after 9 p.m. on November 22, 1987. As people in Chicago gathered around their TVs for the nightly news, WGN sportscaster Dan Rowan was in the middle of reporting the day's highlights when the screen suddenly went black. Then the defense, which hadn't put up a sack in 12 quarters, finally did. There was no sound aside from the buzz of static, and viewers were no longer looking at Dan Rowan. Seconds later, a new image appeared on the screen. People were now looking at a strange figure in a rubber mask, sunglasses, a brown jacket, tie, and white shirt. Behind the masked figure was a corrugated metal sheet moving up and down, giving the amateur effect of a 3D background. The rubber mask, suit, and background image simulated Max Headroom, the highly recognizable TV character from the short-lived but very popular show of the same name. This is... Max Headroom. Max Headroom. So! Sit back. Relax. And enjoy. The figure moved erratically from side to side, back and forth, as if laughing hysterically. The lack of audio only added to the weird spectacle. The signal disruption lasted for half a minute, before studio engineers were able to regain control of the broadcast. A stunned-looking Dan Rowan returned to the screen and acknowledged the confusion that everyone who witnessed the incident must have been feeling. Well, if you're wondering what's happened, (laughs) so am I. Actually, the computer that we have running our news from time to time took off and went wild. So what we're going to do is start over from the top of the Bears and tell you once again about the 30-10 to victory. Two hours later, As Chicago-area viewers were enjoying an episode of the sci-fi show Doctor Who, their screens once again lost reception and turned black. Seconds later, the creepy masked figure took over the airwaves again. This time, however, there was audio, and what happened over the 90 seconds that followed is still described as one of the most bizarre television hacking crimes in broadcasting history. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. When the first signal hack occurred, technicians at the television station were initially convinced that the pirated signal must have come from inside the building. This was a logical guess considering the skills and equipment needed to pull off a stunt like this. Yet, when a thorough search of the premises turned up nothing, their confidence turned to shock. This had been done from an outside location, with most likely third-party technology. Prior to 1987, hijacked transmissions of television airwaves were incredibly rare. Around the world, only a handful of incidents had been reported. The first known hijacking of a TV signal and arguably one of the strangest, happened almost exactly 10 years before the Max Headroom incident. On November 26, 1977, just after 5 p.m., 
viewers in southern England were watching the evening news when the audio signal was taken over by a voice claiming to be from another world. As the video feed continued uninterrupted, an electronic voice calling itself Vrilon delivered a statement of global and universal predictions. It lasted for six minutes, and while most believe it was just a hoax, some people were convinced it really came from an alien representative. In this case, the transmission was relatively easy to hack due to the easily accessible receiver. Anyone emitting a strong enough signal close enough to the television station's receiver could hijack the official signal. Still, it would have taken knowledge and technology, yet over 40 years after the incident, the culprit has never been identified. About a year and a half before the Max Headroom case, a disgruntled satellite dish technician named John McDougall hacked into HBO's cable network. He was upset with declining satellite dish sales due to competition from the increasingly popular cable television. Just after 12.30 a.m. on April 27, 1986, McDougall jammed HBO's signal and replaced it with a written message. Calling himself Captain Midnight, his message read, Good evening, HBO, from Captain Midnight. $12.95 a month? No way. Showtime movie channel, beware. The text-only message was placed on the familiar emergency broadcast graphics and remained on air for over four minutes. The criminal division is looking into a weekend incident in which someone suddenly interrupted a home box office movie on cable. It may have been a sophisticated prank... McDougall was eventually caught when he was overheard boasting about the stunt. Charged with transmitting without a license, McDougall pled guilty. He was sentenced to a year of probation and fined $5,000. The Captain Midnight intrusion is believed to be the first successful broadcast signal hack in the United States. HBO executives decided not to comment in front of news cameras because they don't want to project this as only an HBO problem. They say this is a relatively minor case of a new type of electronic jamming which could threaten several sectors of our society. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Not long after the HBO incident, another cable channel was hacked. This time, the target was Playboy's satellite network. On Sunday, September 7, 1987, just three months before the Max Headroom incursions, a written message took over the signal. I'm at the best of it, but uh, we're going to be looking for a bigger policy. I know that uh, she wants... 
It was a passage from the Bible, telling viewers they should repent and that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The words appeared in white text on a black background, and there was an illustration of a cross inside a white circle at the bottom. The religious nature of the message, and the technology used in the stunt, would eventually lead authorities to focus on one network in particular, the Christian Broadcasting Network. The type of jamming signal that was used by the hacker left behind clues that allowed the Federal Communication Commission, better known as the FCC, to identify the transmitter brand and text generator. The investigation narrowed in on an engineer named Thomas Haney. The engineer worked for the television ministry and was on duty at the time the message was transmitted. He was convicted in September 1990 in Virginia Federal Court on six charges of satellite piracy and sentenced to three years of probation, a $1,000 fine, and community service. Just over two months later, someone dressed as Max Headroom would turn the airwaves into their own playground. Whatever confusion the first incident created during the Chicago Sports Report, it was nothing compared to the second one that followed two hours later. At 11.15 p.m. on November 22, 1987, WTTW Chicago, a PBS affiliate, began losing its transmission of the Doctor Who show. You should talk often with the old ones of your tribe. That is the only way to learn. I'll get you a hot drink, miss. Oh, I some dry clothes. A few seconds later, the person in the Max Headroom mask appeared again. The audio is distorted, but not so much that you can't make out the seemingly nonsensical ramblings. Unlike the first one, which lasted for about 30 seconds, this signal intrusion went on for about a minute and a half, 82 seconds to be specific. Similar to the first one, Max Headroom is in front of a spinning corrugated metal sheet in an attempt to recreate the TV show's computer-generated background. Through what sounds like a digitized voice distorter, Max Headroom speaks. The poor quality makes it difficult to understand, so I'll follow along with what analysts believe is the accurate dialogue. He's a freaking nerd. I think I'm better than Chuck Swirsky. Freaking liberal. Chuck Swirsky was a radio announcer for the Chicago Bulls basketball team. Oh, Jesus, he says before yelling, Catch the wave! Which was the campaign slogan for Coca Cola, an ad campaign Max Headroom was the face of in 1987. He picks up and almost immediately throws an empty Pepsi can. As he shouts, Your love is fading. He reaches down and picks up another can and throws it to the floor. Then, in a random tribute to the 1960s television cartoon Clutch Cargo, the hacker starts humming the show's theme song, He stops for a moment to say, I still see the X. An apparent reference to the same cartoon. Next, he says, Oh, my files. 
An unknown reference, followed by Oh, I just made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world newspaper nerds. Oh, I just made a giant masterpiece for all the greatest world newspaper nerds. <laughs> After more moans and screams, the masked pirate picks up a large costume glove and says, My brother is wearing the other one, but it's dirty. My brother is wearing the other one. He throws the glove away, as if disgusted, and says, The front's got footprints on it. Just when viewers thought it couldn't get any stranger, the camera shot changes. There are now two people visible on screen. The Max Headroom imposter is on the left side, bent over with his head out of frame. His pants are down, clearly exposing his rear and the mask is being held at his side. The second person appears to be a woman. She's wearing a dress and hat, which is hiding her face. The man screams, They're coming to get me. Quickly followed by the woman saying, Bend over, bitch. As she says this, she begins spanking the man with a fly swatter. He then yells, Please make it stop. And the woman slaps the man's behind with her other hand. A moment later, the screen fades to black. As if nothing had occurred, Doctor Who came back on the air. As far as I can tell, a massive electric shock, he died instantly. The generator? Are you always so careful? Viewers were understandably stunned and confused. They started calling WTTW and WGN until the lines were overwhelmed. The only thing the stations could tell people was that they were just as shocked. The media was quick to pick up the curious story of the two hacks. In Chicago television stations, someone using sophisticated equipment managed to briefly and illegally override broadcast signals on WGN-TV and WTT. Even in a medium that is no stranger to bizarre moments, these were truly bizarre. Starting first on WGN-TV. Who's responsible for two acts of video piracy? Last night, someone broke into regular programming here on Channel 9 and on Chicago's public broadcasting station. Who managed to scramble Chicago airwaves. The pirates interrupted WGN and WTTW programming with a show of their the own. The FCC says the pirates were able to use stronger microwave signals to override the television signals which are transmitted from the Hancock and Sears The hijacking also quickly caught the attention of agents from the FBI, who joined officials from the FCC in the hunt to identify the pirates. It is very serious, and uh, we would like to uh, inform anybody who's involved in this type of thing that it is serious and that we will take every step uh, that uh, we can to uh, find out who is doing it and once we have uh, determined that we will make sure that uh, the full extent of the law is uh, carried out. Shortly before the Headroom incident, the U.S. government had passed a law making it a federal crime to interfere with a broadcast signal. I'd like to inform anybody involved in this kind of thing that uh, there's a maximum penalty of $100,000, uh, one year in jail or both. It was enacted as a response to growing fear within the communications industry that cases like the Captain Midnight incursion could happen again. 
law enforcement became keenly aware that terrorists, protesters, and pranksters alike could inflict major damage if the airwaves were ever taken over. It's a concept that had seemed almost science fiction until then. This is a problem uh, involving vulnerability on the part of anyone who uses satellites for any kind of uh, communication. That includes banks with their financial transactions, telephone users, and the commercial TV networks with entertainment and news shows. The Federal Communications Commission is worried. As the investigation continued, theories developed to explain how the signals to both WGN-TV and WTTW's transmitters were hijacked. Because the two stations had their receivers on top of the Sears Tower and the John Hancock building downtown, officials believed that the Max Headroom signal was broadcast from a tall building somewhere in North Chicago. The high-rise would have needed to be located somewhere between the TV stations and the two iconic buildings downtown in order to overpower the transmissions. Experts agree that it would not have taken large, expensive equipment to hijack the signal if it was close enough to the receivers. Off-the-shelf parts and broadcasting equipment were readily available at the time. Basically, what happened is somebody who had some technical knowledge about broadcasting uh, was able to get a transmitter that he had closer to the Hancock than WGN's transmitter, and so he was able to override our signal. Focusing on the equipment, however, did not narrow down the search so authorities focused their investigation on the video itself. Where had the massive corrugated metal sheet seen spinning in the background come from? Who was the second person in the video, the one seen spanking the other with a flyswatter? Where had the video been recorded? The bizarre footage was the only evidence authorities had, and they spent considerable time analyzing each frame. But with limited resources, the fieldwork needed to chase clues and follow up on tips from the public wasn't done. As interesting as it was, the FBI did not consider the incident to be high importance. No one had been hurt, no threats had been made, and nothing had been damaged. With no real evidence, the case quickly grew cold. No one has ever come forward, so no one knows why they chose to perform one of the strangest scenes ever recorded on video. Theories about how and why they did it, and speculation about their identities, continue to this day. Since the Max Hedrum incident, there have been other signal interruptions. Nothing quite as bizarre, but at least in one case, the hacker certainly tried. On February 13th, 2013, KRTV, a CBS affiliate in Montana, had their broadcast interrupted with a message alerting residents that the dead had risen and were attacking people. Civil authorities in your area have reported that the bodies of the dead are rising from their graves and attacking the living. Follow the messages on screen that will be updated as information becomes available. Do not attempt to approach or apprehend these bodies as they are considered extremely dangerous. This warning applies to all areas receiving this broadcast. Turn in to 9.20 a.m. to get updated information in the event that you are separated from your television or if electrical service is interrupted. This station will now cease transmission, so please use your battery-powered radio tune in to 9.20 a.m. for information.
who have made significant contributions preserving our area's history. Pacific Steel and Recycling. Not long after, several other stations in New Mexico, California, and Michigan were also hacked, and the same emergency alert message was aired. A Montana TV station is beefing up its computer security after hackers used the station to broadcast a phony zombie. And here's something completely different. A horror movie come to life as a legitimate news organization warns people that zombies are rising, in fact, from their graves. Yes. It, indeed, it is, has happened. Mm -hmm. Folks out in Great Falls, Montana, got a bit of a scare as hackers apparently got into the emergency alert system at one of the TV stations there and warned of a coming, in fact, imminent, Zombie Apocalypse. The emergency alert system was password secured, which is exactly how the hacker was able to access it. Following the incident, the FCC ordered all broadcasters participating in the alert system to change their passwords immediately. Authorities eventually made an arrest in the case, crediting the hacker's repeated attacks as his undoing. Sometimes, a signal incursion can happen accidentally. In a rather unfortunate workplace mishap, technicians in Hamilton, Ontario, were fixing a broken cable when they accidentally reconnected the wrong one. On the morning of April 20, 2012, viewers tuning into the morning news on CHCH-TV were instead treated to three minutes of hardcore porn. The signal for the adult cable channel was accidentally spliced into the CHCH-TV news cable as they attempted to repair it. No doubt a learning experience for everyone involved. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? Get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.